Hey there, you got Jeff. I've got about 15 seconds before my dog barks again, so I'll make this quick. If you're looking to connect with other customer success leaders who are trying to operationalize customer success in their companies, come over to gaingrowretain.com and join now. Welcome to the Gain, Grow, Retain podcast. So um, what we wanted to do this week was we sent an email out last night. Hopefully you all had a chance to look at it, but we wanted to tee up a few topics instead of trying to go in real time. Uh, It turns out my moderation skills are still in development, very much so. Um, So hopefully that gave you guys a a chance to prepare a little bit as well and think about some of the the ideas that you would like to share relative to some of these topics. But the, the question that rose up to the top of the list this week was, um, what it is a really interesting topic. What percentage of churn happens because of overselling and poor client onboarding, which I think are two separate things. Um, and then what processes and tools are being used to solve this? So I'm curious, is this a problem that folks are, are focused on right now? And if so, you know, how, how are you start? I mean, there's some good thinking out there about how to, how to do this. So I'd just love to start hearing from some folks who are, um, who are solving this problem actively right now with your sales teams and your onboarding teams. I, have seen in the recent conversations with two of my clients that, that I'm working with that the sales team is becoming a bit more desperate and therefore a bit more aggressive and uh, creative in finding solution fit that's not there. So I haven't seen it creep up um, yet as a significant factor, but if we come back to this topic maybe in two to three months, um, as the recession is really taking effect, um, I, I think it be, becomes more prevalent as a tried practice. And what I'm telling everyone always is the same thing. In this day and age, just getting a sale done out of desperation, not looking at how much money you spend on actually winning that deal, doesn't help you in the bottom line. And the bottom line is what helps you survive through this recession. And I would say that I think a lot of it starts with lack of alignment between executive leadership of all different departments, whether it's product, operations, sales, or customer success on what an uh, customer success on what an ideal customer profile is. If you don't know which customers are best geared towards using your product, your service, your technology, and you sell to anyone, there's tremendous opportunity cost in in, in trying to salvage customers that aren't right for your product. And then you either end up resigning them or you have bad customer health scores and you lose a lot of time, valuable time on working on profitable customers and your high value customers because you're trying to save the ones that should never have been sold in the first place. So how do you, how do you balance those two competing interests out? Because you do have sellers that are, that are trying to sell or, in some cases, if CSMs own an expansion number that are trying to cross and upsell, compensation drives behavior and the company's driving towards a revenue target, yet we all sort of instinctively know that, that selling into, the bad, uh, into a bad customer fit uh, is less financially attractive over the long haul. So how do you disincentivize people from selling into those situations? I think before you disincentivize, you've got to actually work out exactly what the ICP is because it changes. Initially, the ICP will be derived by sales. 
Um, and I know we've said it a lot of times before, but you've got to really get sales ops, marketing ops, and CS ops aligned on what the ICP is. And marketing, um, customer marketing and CS team really need to drive how the ICP develops over time and feeds back in. So you've got a, a joint view of what the ICP is. Once you've got that and it's, and it's emerging and evolving over time, then you can start to incentivize rather than de-incentivize around the, the changing needs of the ICP and, and what proves to be the profitable customer. So I think that's the way to go is incentivize around what is proven to be the ongoing ICP from a joint view of all areas of revenue operations, not just what was originally sort of devised by um, sales ops in the early days of the SaaS setup. I agree with, with one point, but I disagree with the fact that, that you said that sales own the ICP. And I think that's a mistake that a lot of companies make. The ICP is not, not owned, owned by any... Sorry, they devised it initially. I, I don't think well, they and, own and, revenue ops own it. Right. And that also might be a mistake because I think the best ICPs are those that are delivered collectively across marketing, sales, customer success, and product, because then it's a true ideal customer profile. It's not a sales customer profile or a marketing customer profile. And in terms of, of incentivizing, I think the key here is actually to get the metrics right. Um, and I think if, if you look at something like CAC to LTV ratio or even just LTV itself, and putting huge sways of the company that are in the commercial seats on an LTV-based metric, comp, bonus, whatever you want to call it, is much more powerful because it actually gets people aligned on the same thing rather than they're just their own little bit of it. I've seen two, two ways people have, in companies I've worked at, um, were able to influence this question, which I agree is an evolving one and changing one. One is make sure that uh, salespeople get paid, the commission is um, defined after the customer pays. And if the customer payment is tied to their going live, or it's tied to their renewing, then you have at least one metric that is aligning whether the customer can be successful to the compensation to sales. Another one at a company called Free Markets I worked at, um, the CFO actually drove an initiative. Salespeople were not excited about it initially, but it worked brilliantly, where we calculated the expected gross margin on a deal. Um, when a deal gets signed, we should know what is the expected gross margin. Forget reality, forget how much we actually work. You can, you can come up with a model that says, if we charge X and we sell this thing, this is going to be our gross margin. And the commission to salespeople were different if the expected gross margin was above a certain amount versus below. So you can actually segment the customers and say, for good customers, right, the ones that are within my ICP, um, I'm going to pay more. For lower value customers, I still want them, especially in these tough times, it's gonna be very hard for any of us to say no to salespeople that are trying to sell something in some segments. You know, it's so hard, you can't just say no. But I'll pay less for a customer that my expectation is to yield less value from than from a customer that I'm expecting to get a lot of value from. Boris, I was CEO of a, of a SaaS company um, and we did something very similar to that. Um, we built out a, a company-wide ICP, and then we worked out a way of calculating what we called an ICP fit. So there was a, a, literally a calculation. You could put certain characteristics in, and that would say, well, that's a 100% fit. That's a 90% fit. And we had to use that as a basis for conditioning salespeople's commission to the point where if they, got, uh, if they sold a piece of business or attempted to sell a piece of business that was too low, they just wouldn't get commission. And that changed the sales behavior very, very quickly. 
How do you? My do humble opinion, but just a note regarding the uh, the customer profile. I think it, it really depends on the maturity of the company and where you are with the product. And when you are quite mature, then the ICP is quite clear. But when you are uh, in early stage or when the uh, company changes, the market change, I think that the ICP changes as well. So I think it really depends not just on Corona or not, but where you are in, in the product maturity and understanding your customers. And there's benefits on, on letting some... Uh, some definition being loose because then you can uh, understand where you can grow and how you can grow that. Um, for the other thing that was discussed on the incentives, I'll break that to, is it a CS or sales incentives? Uh, I think that if a CS is incentivized for something that he oversold, he will have to uh, um, take the consequences. And if he oversold, he will need to, he will be the one that needs to deliver it. And if he will not be able to deliver it, then he will discompensate on the, uh, on the renewal. Hey, Shelby, I'd like to hear what you have to say on this. I was hesitant to start speaking over people, so I was gonna type, but I will stop typing. So my thoughts are, regardless of the current economic climate and COVID-19, sales behavior or bad sales behavior, as we like to call it in CS, um, exists, right? And so, at a, I'm with SAP, um, for those that don't know me. Um, the, just this year, we have incorporated a CS component KPI into everybody's um, compensation um, program, whether that be a variable pay, um, revenue generating, revenue enabling, doesn't matter. Um, and so that is the very first attempt to effectively make our sales organization accountable to the customer actually buying something that they have a business case to further consume and adopt. Um, so, you know, there's obviously lots of products and solutions sold at SAP, and there's a pretty complicated um, calculation behind what actually drives that metric. But um, think of it this way, there's consumption, right? Or there's not consumption. And so for every product that you can measure consumption for, there is a target of consumption based on the actual um, usage as of today. And so every person in this company now has a target of consumption um, that they have to achieve specifically on the sales side, whether they sold the deal or not. Um, now, some will probably work that system and not care about that portion of their comp and go and oversell a bunch of net new booked business, but they will have to care about it um, effectively soon. Um, not an easy program to roll out in a 90,000 person company, that's for sure. Um, the other piece is I think the business case piece. So, you know, Jay and I were talking about this a bit yesterday about the, the real gaps between what is being sold and how that gets transitioned into a post-sale environment and how often, you know, this shelfware, which is really what we're talking about that generates churn has no business case. In fact, many of the solutions that actually have a business case, CS often has a hard time getting their hands on it. Um, there's a poor transition. Um, so the lack of business case exists, whether we're in the climate we're in now or, you know, six months ago. Um, so focusing on that sales transition, the actual business case, and then in a post-sales environment, understanding where that business case doesn't exist. And so what we do um, with our customer success resources is we have our organization really track at the product level or solution level where they know shelfware exists so that we can predict in our forecasts um, what portion of that forecast actually is non-renewable because there was never even a business case for it. Um, so th those are some of the things that we're doing here at SAP. One, one uh, question I just wanted to throw out there, uh, Brian, 
LaFail, I think I uh, saw you throw this in the chat. I just wanted to maybe pose this as a good transition, um, Shelby, from some of the, the discussion that you just mentioned too. Have others held back a portion of sales commission until some sort of customer threshold has been met? So 50 plus adoption, 50 plus percent adoption, successful launch, completed onboarding package, et cetera. I don't know if anybody has uh, any examples there. Excuse me. I think my voice just cracked. Uh, <laughs> any examples there? Um, but uh, Brian, just want to throw that question out to the group and see if uh, we can get some discussion around that too. From a, a RevOps perspective, which is where my brain leans, uh, it's, it's tough to do that unless you can clearly tie the things that the sales team is doing and they have control over it, right? Uh, I have that conversation quite a bit in, within my organization around like, has sales done everything they need to do as part of the sales process to ensure that the experience downstream is positive and, and uh, flows smoothly and gets us the revenue as quickly as possible. But if we're asking them to manage the implementation process, which is something they don't have control over, um, it, it gets a little dicey around tying their, their compensation to that because things could, um, can get a little chippy and it's no different than any other group that might be compensated on things that they don't have uh, full control over. It seems important to me that we have to have executive level buy-in to do this, CEO, founders, you know, Lance, I know some of your guys, right? And who champions this within your organization? It comes from the top. So how do you get the right conversation going there? Aaron, I didn't mean to cut you off, man. So jump in if you got something else too, but I'm curious how, like what, you know, what forum you're using to get engagement from the top down on this issue? Yeah, I mean, we're still working through it. So TBD, but I mean, just kind of early stages. Uh, it's more around, if we're gonna if we're gonna put something like this in place, do we have the right uh, things on the other side? Like for instance, our engineering group, our implementation team, do we have the right amount of people? Do we have the right uh, scale in place in order to um, proactively sign sign them up for something like this? Or are we gonna have our salespeople knocking on their door every day because there's something that's delayed that they don't have control over, but but we're controlling their ability to make money on that. Um, so it, it, that's, you know, I mentioned the trickiness earlier, like, uh, definitely visibility and, uh, stacking hands across the board, but also, uh, being realistic around whether that's something, uh, we want to happen and we have the, uh, ability to, uh, solve for, or, if, or is it going to get contentious? Uh, if, if everybody thinks that their stuff is the highest priority thing and, and they're, they're, you know, infighting as a result to get paid. Yeah, I I would agree. I would agree with that. I I think that I think sometimes we strive to get the most perfect kind of formula to to a situation like this. I I just don't don't think myself that it's actually feasible that you can actually come up with something that says, okay, this is how we're going to crack this this particular problem. I I agree with Lance. I think you're opening up a, a, the the more of a contention point and friction point now between sales and CS that sales are going to. If you know, we're now going. CS is now interfering with the commission <laughs> that salespeople earn. CS is now responsible for whether a salesperson, uh, you know, or sorry, is affecting whether that salesperson hits quota or earns their variable. And I think that is just you, there. There are better ways. Now, I think it depends upon the culture of the company and the product maybe you're selling and all that. But I think there are smarter ways to actually approach this particular problem. I, I would be very nervous myself now going down that particular road. Ricky. Hey, Nick. I'm just curious. Hey, Jack. Has anybody ever 
applied your commission percentage, we're seeing this done, commission percentage paid out relative to customer average lifetime value and where that customer is in your expected amount of revenue from that particular product line, vertical, ICP, whatever, however you wanted to segment it out. Seems to me like that matches up the commission variable compensation with the actual incurred revenue that we've made from that customer, you know, relative to our expected lifetime and overall uh, revenue from that customer. Does that make sense? I mean, it just seems like that would sort of, Peter, you ever seen that or is this just crazy? Yeah, I think it does. But but, it, it, but I guess here's my point. It, there's a lot of models that make sense. Now, if you've just gotten 20 million in VC funding, now have that conversation with your investors. Uh, they're going to want you to sell like mad. They're going to want you to go out and hire the you know the double cuff sales salespeople. You know they're going to. So I, I, I yeah, I, I think for that to sort of happen, I think you've got to be in a very very mature steady state company, maybe, but not one that's just received a lot of of funding and you're in hyper growth because it's all about selling and selling selling and CS to clean up afterwards. As vulgar as that sounds, but but I think that's. So I think it does depend upon. Where where your company's at, and you know certainly in my company at the moment that it's all about hiring salespeople who are going to hit quota no matter what. Spoken like a true sales guy. Yeah. I, I want to let uh, <laughs> I want to let Scott Rob get a word in here. Scott's with Medallia, and by the way, when you guys, if you don't mind, when you start speaking, could you just say your first name and what company you're with? It would be helpful for everybody. Thanks, Jay. Everyone, yes, Scott Rob, uh, Global Vice President of Customer Success of Medallia. Long time listener, first time caller into this call. So uh, excited to be here for the 160 y'all. A um, couple things that you know, I heard at the end of the day, the way we drive the commission structure for our sales teams on things they can control, kind of where you're going with Lance earlier. So we, we tie payment uh, to the sales director with the payment to Medallia. So they don't get their full commission payout until we receive the funds from the customer. Um, and that's just a direct correlation of like cash from hand A to hand B. You know, we don't want to front the money and not get the money from the customer. And some of these commission checks are pretty big. We're an enterprise SaaS company. And when we do, you know, seven figure deals that can, can change people's lives for the sales director. So that's kind of how our model works from a compensation perspective. Um, and then Aaron, to your, your question there, you know, I think if you look at just the, the breed of what salespeople are, they would never, I don't think, work for a company where that's how they got paid, right? They want to know if they close X dollars of their quota, it's going to return X dollars in their pocket and they're not going to sit around and wait for it. Um, you know, it's grandiose. I think it's, it makes sense for a company, but the problem is the egotistical nature of salespeople, unfortunately, just is very much like, what did I do for you lately and pay me? Spoken like a true customer success guy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it might be pie in the sky, but that's where it seems to make sense to me. If we know that, you know, seven figures is our average deal size and that's our average lifetime value, then if we get all seven figures up front, cool, we should pay that 100% commission. But if our average deal, you know, if we routinely renew and it's multi contract lifetimes we're talking about and we expect that and we're aligning around the outcomes right and we're delivering that value and it's realized by the customer we would expect that should lead to renewal expansion what have you and we could commission hypothetically commission accordingly um, can I add on to that this is Melinda currently uh, unemployed unfortunately but glad to be here um, most recently um, I would challenge that we're not getting necessarily all the way down to the bottom of the churn level. Um, I hate for us to focus on, well, it was a bad deal. Um, as a CSM, part of my job is to turn those bad deals into customer advocates who are um, providing testimonials. So 
I guess I just have to spend too much time working upstream on that issue. Um, so the two points I wanted to make was, are you really getting to the root cause of the churn, right? Um, if it was a bad sale, why was it a bad sale? Um, you know, if we could acquire the customer, then we need to figure out, can we modify to expand this market for ourselves? Um, so that'd be one thing is, are you really getting to the root cause of the churn? The other thing is, once you've identified you've got a bad sale, as CSMs, we need to get busy, right? Putting together a plan, figuring out how we turn this bad sale into a long-term customer. So, um, and the last thing that I would say is to add on to what Zeb was saying, and I think Peter, it, for the large majority of the customers or the companies that we're working for, um, we need to be evaluating uh, or engaging at the investor level, right? If they're um, telling us we need logos, and I don't care what you sell, who you sell it to. So I think as a CSM community, um, it's a pretty large one. We need to also bring to the table the conversation around how do we become successful making those sales happen. Exactly. Go ahead, Dave. This is Dave. I'm, I'm from Client Success. Thanks for having me. Uh, uh, it's a great group here. A uh, couple quick things. Uh, where, where we asked about um, support from the top, I was in a board meeting once where the board member looked over at the VP of marketing and said, you are responsible for churn. It starts with you. Are you marketing to the right people? Do you have a clear ICP? And, um, and you need to understand your role in downstream churn, churn uh, impacts. And so I would agree that ICP is critical. And what I would say is that uh, from a customer success standpoint, our role in defining that ICP is, is critical. And I think that almost to the point where, um, the customer success team and leadership should be the one signing off. And the, the way you look at that, Melinda, certainly is um, understanding from churn, which customers are churning. But even more so, I would say, is doing a success analysis, understanding which customers are having the most success with your, your business and doing a deep dive on those customers and saying, okay, we know which ones have churned. But more importantly, we know the attributes of those customers that are having success with our product. And this is what the IC, ICP should um, align to. And then the last thing is compensation. I think HubSpot has the best case study on this where they had, they had high um, churn for a while and then they went back and they started aligning comp sales compensation to churn. And they basically said, if I remember right, you'll get paid a portion of it up front and then you'll get a, uh, you get a paid portion of your commission six months or a year down the road based on retention. And that changed the game for HubSpot back in the early days when they had a high churn in that type of market. So I think all three of those are, are critical uh, for, uh, for this, uh, to solve this challenge. Hey, Jay, can I, can I share a slide from a keynote I did in London along these sure. lines? And it's, it's to ask the, the group a question. So a while ago, I pinged just the customer success com uh, community on LinkedIn to, to try to understand what do you consider a CSQL, uh, customer success qualified lead? And ultimately what most people came back with was this here, right? So you got your land and expand funnel, see us living down here. Once we get the expansion of the account, ideally, obviously through after renewal, but then ideally we're driving advocates. And Dave, that was actually you that chimed in and said, this is what I think the industry should determine as a CSQL. And so what I, what I challenged the leadership in London with was define what a CSQL is for yourself. And this is one take on it. What I would like us to see is notice this is a, customer who's come through, renewed, expanded, and then drove us a net new customer. Now I'm talking about a brand new net customer on their own, net new customer on their own. 
when they get into the sales, so you got marketing up here doing demand gen, sales shepherding the evaluation and decision-making process. When we're in this stage of the customer's life cycle, before they've become a customer, when they're still a prospect and we're trying to identify where does this fit in our ICP landscape and how do we feel like this customer is going to fit? Are they going to be a good fit, bad fit, whatever, however you quantify it. I would like to see us up here with the, with the ability to actually push up into the funnel, help sales to, um, to uh, like quantify what that, what that prospect looks like. And then over time, we do all of, all of that based on our understanding of the ICP. So we're refining the target of who we're marketing to at the top while also actually partnering with sales during the evaluation exploration stage uh, when you're qualifying that lead. So I, I don't know if anybody does this. I don't know if this is just like, you know, harebrained crazy idea, but if we had a role or some sort of function up higher in the funnel for net new customers coming in, we'd have the ability earlier in that life cycle to say, yep, this one's right down the middle of the fairway. This is an ICP one. Or you know what, based on what we know about churn and renewals, this is gonna be a stretch. And so maybe you tack on professional services or do some sort of pricing adjustment or something to try to offset that overhead that you had in, or that you were anticipating, I should say. So anybody doing anything like that? Like anybody have a good name for that type of function where we would actually help qualify leads as their product marketing, product marketing, but the product marketing, you're basically selling your, your product back into the, into the, the customer base, right? Or no? Well, yeah, I think it's broader. I, I, I think that it's product. <laughs> yeah. Ashwin, why don't you go ahead? You've been trying to get in here for a minute. Yeah. So I, I, I have slightly different point of view because, you know, again, coming from a product background, so like understanding jobs to be done. So like, you know, it, it's a classic, fallacy that we fall, fell into, you know, last year. So for the longest time, you know, marketers have been our focus area for the company. Uh, and last year, I think about 18 months ago, the salespeople started bringing in a lot of engineer and product folks who are looking to use our product. And obviously for them, it's not the ideal product. So there's a pushback from the company, you know, like, why are you getting these deals? And, you know, if it's a great fit or not, or should we change the product roadmap because of this new customer that is coming in? Uh, how big is the market XYZ? You know, a lot of, you know, tussle that went on. Uh, but that is literally that is literally defined our next target market uh, this year, uh, and you know significant investment from a business standpoint into an area that we were not focusing on a couple of years ago. So I feel like a lot of times you optimize to reduce tussle, but tussle at times is responsible for that move ahead, uh, and having that space of tussle, um, you know, is necessary for the company to innovate as well because ICP is also a fallacy where you can box your ideal customer. So, you know, like keep that in mind. That's one of the things I wanted to say. The other thing that, you know, we are really interested in doing, not right now. Um, so we had one salesperson and then CS was handling monetization. Um, right now we are moving to a model where uh, existing AM is doing monetization. Uh, but in a couple of years, we, we want to go to a model where the salesperson is handling monetization throughout the customer lifecycle and owning a lot more of LTV. So I think that uh, is something that could be explored upon. Uh, from a churn standpoint, I think owners need to be defined um, very clearly and owners in the business need to be defined. So what part of churn is product handling? What part of churn is partnerships handling? What part of churn CS is handling and or someone else? You know, you may have integrations in place or whatever. So understanding that as well, uh, you know, could be uh, could be interesting in handling churn. So those are my main points. Yeah. Yeah, very good. That's a let's I mean, so we, we 
started talking the the idea of overselling because of and, and poor client onboarding and that being a contributing factor to churn. I think we dealt with it right. Um, but the other thing that is on our list to chat about today is more product related as well. And I think it, it really matches up with this idea of ICP, but how are, you know, so the one thing I'll just say this quickly and I'm going to back off and let you guys talk, but I don't like it when sales sets the strategy for the company. If we're going to go sell into a new part of the market, then that should be a company focused top-down strategic thing. So what tools are, are we using? to understand those new requirements that are coming in and those maybe those you know edge cases uh, how are cs and product working together to figure out if those are things that we need to pursue within our companies as as new opportunities for for our businesses does anybody have any examples of how they're doing that collaboration between cs and product hi yeah, I guess I, I can I, go. this is go ahead <laughs> no 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 you go please Sure. I just chime in very quickly. Um, we've uh, I started with uh, this company Glassbox, and uh, for it's going to be my fourth month. And what we started doing is that we started looking at the number of feature requests that we have been collecting uh, through our support portal. So our customers would file a ticket with a specific type of feature request. So we started to quantify the type, the number of feature requests that we had per customer and then going through them to actually look at the type of feature requests that we have and looking at other dimensions in terms of interactions that we had with the customer as a way to identify if the product outcomes are being met or not. Um, because if they're not being met and they have a lot of feature requests, that is a signal that we need to put more attention to it. And I love to hear from others how they are, their product teams are setting the right success criteria for their product features or new functionality that would um, help minimize churn or you know combat the churn uh, overall. Those are great points. Anybody have anything to add to Elizabeth's question about success criteria the product team is setting relative to features? So one thing we have done is um, you know like for example for onboarding. Uh, we have figured out the activation rate and the ownership of the activation rate is being shared by CS and product together. So for example, you know, we, we are in transition phase where we have a decent SMB chunk as well, but we have moved towards uh, mid-market and enterprise, but we cannot just let SMB go because we're a bootstrap company and things will fall apart. So now there, the product needs to play a role to, you know, keep the activation rate going for SMB customers as well, which means a lot better design than what we have right now. And then CS needs to have, uh, need to have, a lot more uh, you know, uh, comprehensive processes for the enterprise and mid-market space. So by having that metric being taken care of multiple teams uh, across uh, the company, different stack, I think that's one way of looking at it. So basically aligning teams around the customer instead of aligning them around skills. So that's something that is, that is, working, uh, uh, that is working in our favor. Ashwin, I agree on the, on the point about um, measuring adoption. I think that should be part of any launch plan. How are you going to measure adoption? In terms of how you can do it, one idea about how you can bring that conversation forward to before the features has been developed. Um, Clicktools, we always used to, when we were discussing the product roadmap, we always used to insist that any suggestion for inclusion of some new features on the roadmap had a statement alongside of it about how this was going to help our customers achieve the outcome that they wanted. And if you couldn't back up this feature request with some clear data and statements about what's the value to the customer of this, it didn't get on the roadmap. Even if it was you know, something that customers said that this is our favorite thing. I think that's actually a really good point. So uh, this is Kyle. 
uh, currently part of team furlough, uh, but uh, I've been a, a CS director uh, and actually a, a head of, of product delivery and engineering delivery management. So it's an interesting sort of crux of the two places, but um, you make a really good point in that the business outcome has to be what drives sort of the, the, the conversation between CS and product. Um, for us, when you just talk about tactics, we found a lot of success in the past uh, leveraging Jira um, because we were running support tickets through Jira. Um, we were running you know, CS data from Jira into uh, in Mike deck, um, but then Jira was also what we were leveraging on the product side. And so we basically had a lot of stuff uh, yeah, go team for a little. Um, so yeah, we, we had a lot of, um, we had six different products at that time. Each product had a product manager and a couple of different product owners or BAs. And so it was really important when we were getting a lot of feature requests to put them through, um, you know, a process that was consistent regardless of the intake point. Um, and so for us, Jira was really the tool for that. But, you know, going back to the requirement and making sure that things are consistent, you've got to have the business data to back some of that stuff up. I mean, feel is really important and product managers are really good at sort of having a feel or should be really good at having a feel for what the product market fit looks like for the evolution of the roadmap. Um, but I think it's important when you're talking about features coming from existing clients and coming from the CS side, it's, you know, not only does it fit that particular client, but then you sit down with a product manager and you go over, okay, how many times have you seen this request come through? If we've seen it a bunch, what does that look like? If it's not on our roadmap, does it fit sort of where we envision the product itself going long-term? Um, you know, roadmaps were really in a, in a good world where things are humming. Roadmaps are basically just guidelines where, um, in my opinion, if you're, if you're really evolving and you're really in the market and you're pushing innovation, you're only driving about 30% of your roadmap and that ends up being sort of your left and right lanes and in the middle lane is all of your customer stuff that you're trying to push through and releases should be about 70% customer feedback or customer requests. It's just so important though that you align on the, on the business model around that um, to the point that you were talking about earlier. Yep, that, that's problem, great. The problem with customer feedback is that it's, it's the old Steve Jobs thing, you know, that if you ask a customer what they want, they don't always know uh, what they want. So they know what they want, but they don't always know what's best for them in terms of what they need. Um, so you've got to be very careful about just going blind with, with, you know, which one's got the most vote from the customer. Unless you can actually justify that from a delivering value to your chosen customers, then I think you've really got to question that. Steve Jobs had it right way ago. Yeah, and, and I, I would, I would uh, also, Brian LaFowle had a good comment in the chat that said, and we're trying to figure out how to get really tactical with all this stuff, right? So I like the point you made, Kyle, about tracking that stuff in a CRM system, being able to look at it objectively across all the, all the customers and all the, the, collect data on it, right? And don't, don't do it as word of mouth or whoever's the most popular or the loudest wins. Uh, I think there's a fallacy that we think sometimes as customer success people and salespeople that if we add a feature, it's going to cause retention. Rarely does that ever happen. Sometimes we spend a lot of time doing that and we still don't retain our clients because the business case was out of whack. Um, I wanted to call on Thomas Sealbinder real quick. And from uh, Hickory North, my hometown. You there, yeah, Thomas? Tom. Yeah, Thomas here uh, from Model Match. Uh, been in uh, success before we called it success. And um, I would just add that, you know, I think you're totally spot on when we talk about uh, how it relates to the, you know, and especially at Model Match, success are the ones who are having all the conversations with our client post-close. And so uh, in, in some situations, you know, we, uh, we kind of act like a therapist and we get to hear the good and the bad uh, consistently. And so we need to be taking uh, extremely good notes and being able to log all of those conversations. And 
sometimes the client won't tell you exactly what they need. It's your job to figure out through those conversations uh, exactly where we should position ourselves from a product perspective and, and be in constant collaboration um, just as we should be with marketing and operations. We should be with, uh, with product and development and being able to use all that data that we're gathering and logging to drive where, uh, you know, where we want to go next and do that with precision. You know, we, especially on, at ModelMat, success is very well ingrained with, with development and there's a lot of effort. If you've been on that side, it, it can take a long time and a lot of effort and a lot of man hours to, to develop a feature set. And it's not the greatest feeling. And I've definitely been there multiple times when you, 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 you lay out all that effort, you roll out the product and you find that just as you said, uh, the client didn't know what they wanted. They, they don't know what they don't know. And so you just, you really did waste a ton of effort because you didn't have the data to back up what you were doing and that decision that you made as an organization. And so it's a lesson learned for a lot of us that go through that but it's super important just to all those conversations that you're having, log that info, have it in a way that you can go back to it time and time again and look across all of your segments. You need to look across the board to figure out what product fits well, not just for one segment, but that can be applied to, to multiple segments. So that would be, that would be my opinion and my advice on that. Thanks, Thomas. And I would just, I would just add one thing that if you are, if you're relying just on one feature request and your customer is gonna churn because you don't deliver on one of those things, you have a bigger problem. That means they haven't seen value from, the, from what you've been doing. So that's, that, that's something to just be aware of. I appreciate that too. I think that's a good, good comment. Um, David Allen, I just wanted to call you out because I saw your comment in the chat um, just about how you talked about using uh, some feedback data, it sounded like from Qualtrics, um, you combine that into the CRM. And so maybe just, I don't know if you have an example you can just follow up on there that would be, um, again, kind of tactical, the way that you try to use that information, categorize it would be really good to, to call upon that. Yeah, so we embedded Qualtrics into Salesforce. And as we got tickets in from customers, they would go into the customer record so we could see a 360 view of the customer. But then we pulled that, we aggregated that data back out of Salesforce through Qualtrics and we categorized the tickets based on what product or what service they were having an issue with, why they were having an issue, and then we'd do a deeper dive and then we'd feed that information back to product management and product development. Yeah, that's great. There's a ton of stuff coming in the chat right now too about this. So what I think we'll try to do is probably aggregate some of these points that people are making and, and pull them into like a set of tools and things and we'll share that out afterward because I think there's user voices being cited, aha is being cited, front app, and like some of this tooling around this is really important. Um, one other thing that I'll just put a plug in for, I always go back to Salesforce has a really interesting model for this. And some people hate when I bring this up, but they have a communities tool and you have to, there's upvotes and certain things involved there where their product team can't even really pay attention to anything until it hits a certain level of, of, I guess maybe noise is the wrong word, but, but a certain threshold of interest in the market for that capability. So um, we'll throw a link in that uh, to that in the, in the, in the follow-up and the recap for this as well. Um, anybody have any other thoughts on, on product feature um, requests, CS product interaction before we move on to, we have one more topic we might want to try to squeeze in here. I can maybe touch on, on what we do. Oh. Go for it, Joe. How you doing? Thank I'm you here. from, thank you Slido for your help. Oh, you're very welcome. So yeah, I'm the VP of customer success at Slido. Um, we actually take, we, we obviously have a number of different levels of product, not only subscription, we also have a freemium product which uh, can be used. Uh, but we actually take all of the insights from our customers from our chat, from the customer calls, and then from all of our NPS comments. We pull them all together into our um, help desk solution where we've got a, um, like an auto tagging program running um, on key themes. 
as well as then um, we have our CX team actually review all of those requests that don't fit into the auto tags. And what that team then do is they collate and create reports for the product team and for the product managers uh, on a bi-weekly basis, which shows both trends and also the feature requests um, that, that, that they're using. Maybe we work a bit differently as that because we don't actually work to a fixed roadmap. We work fully on the customer feedback um, and these trends that are coming through and evolving and changing and make to make sure that we're actually doing the right things and listening to our customers and, and innovating in the way that they need us to innovate. So like these reports are really, really valuable from both the quantity perspective, but also the qualitative insights and making sure we have what's right, if that makes sense. So you put your customers first. That's, that's awesome. Even before the market. I love it. Anja, if you only had a good survey tool, good way to, to ask people for input. <laughs> it's nice stuff. I love slide up. Thank you, Joe. Any other final thoughts on, on this, on this topic? Um, hey, Jay, um, Chris Jones here. I'm CSM from Sumtotal Systems. Um, we're a talent management um, software company. And just wanted to follow up on what Joe said. That is similarly how we manage um, our product roadmap. We have an ideation platform and our customers go in. They upvote, downvote products or services or features. And even our, our documentation will show it. If we implement a feature that was through our ideation platform, we highlight it in our documentation. Um, and it, it also drives customer involvement because they feel like not only is the product being made, it's actually being made for them. So the more they give into it is the more the product is pushed forward. And that even helps our sales team because when they go before um, a customer, um, I see Shelby from um, SAP on, but you know, sometimes when we, we go before customers and we talk about products and what we have and what's coming, that's one of the ways that we drive that from a sales standpoint to say, listen, it's not just a product that's going to be static, but it's driven by what it is that you in our market want and what the market leaders are looking for right now. So yeah, definitely a great way to go. I think one, one final thought, maybe to close this out, um, Jay as well, that I think there's a couple of people I think have gone down this thread in the chat and something that I think we've seen in a lot of the, the work that we've done with our clients as well is um, having your CSMs and really, I mean, coaching them into asking the right questions and, and asking inquisitive questions when they start to identify some of these problems that people might be trying to solve. I think that's something that's really underrated. I think Ziv, you mentioned this, Diana uh, DeJesus, I think you mentioned this as well, you know, that, um, you know, it's, it is asking the right questions and being inquisitive and, and kind of directing the conversation in the right way is actually a, a skill that I think um, has to be developed over time. So I think just making sure and thinking about that from the CSM perspective, how do we coach our CSMs into uh, that type of cadence and really making sure they can understand how to ask those questions. That's very good. And the other, maybe the last point that I would add there is that there is a thing called an ideation platform. And I'd like that you called it out that way, Chris and Joe, because like this is a separate system of record in my mind for customer request data. It's sort of different than bugs and it's different than some other data we track on our customers. So um, we really need to have a, a separate tool for that as we mature you know, these companies. Um, because it's not just about feature requests, right? That's, we don't just look at feature requests. We look at pains, we look at problems, like the repeating things that are coming up that aren't just feature requests because those can also have a bigger impact on churn. Totally. This, uh, sorry, last thing, this, is, uh, this is John. I, I lead the customer success team actually at, at Product Board. Um, we do exactly this. I, and so, cool. uh, you know, we help um, 
product teams better understand user needs, help CS and product collaborate and have you know, idea portals and all those sorts of things. And so happy to share examples, uh, maybe after the fact with what some organizations are doing around some of these idea portals, um, uh, if anyone's interested. But yeah, really interesting conversation and uh, yeah, happy to jump in where anyone's, uh, anyone needs. All right, cool guys. Well, you know, we like to end right on time. It's 1228. Um, it's great to see you all again. Appreciate everybody joining this. Great, great conversations today. We'll be sending a recap like we do. We'll be sending the video. If you don't mind, please share this on LinkedIn. Um, uh, Ankit does a great job of putting notes together and he's usually the first one out of the gates, but see if you can beat him today. I dare you. Um, but uh, really appreciate you guys coming and, uh, and we'll see you next Thursday.